So chapter 10, this is kind of a high point going on here uh, in the ministry of Jesus. We're going to back up a little bit into 9, and he's been visiting with the disciples, and he gets to a point here, and he says to them in chapter 9, who do the multitudes say that I am? And they reply, well, some say you're prophet, Moses, Elijah. Uh, and he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, speaking for the group as always, the Christ of God. Matthew said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah. You are God, the son. So they confirmed at that point, chapter 9, they confirmed that they got it. They understood it. He's the Messiah. And he moves right into 10, or just right after that, still in 9. And he says to them, okay, you know who I am. Now, if anyone wishes to come after me. Now, here's where the call happens, right? So there's a lot of people who would say, well, I know God. It's sure there's God. There's Jesus. Um, and they might even say, yeah, there's probably, that's probably true. There's probably a heaven and a hell. When you get to the point of acknowledging he is the Messiah, that he is the sent lamb, that he paid the price for our sins. When you acknowledge that he is Christ, the son of God, your heart has moved now to a point where you can hear the next part. Well, if you want to follow me, well, then here's what you have to do. And he, he goes into that and he says, if you're going to follow me, in verse 23 there in 9, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Huh. That's a hard call to be a disciple. And I think this morning as you think about this and as we're reading this, where are you in answering the call to discipleship? Because he says, if you'll follow me, if any man come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And what does that look like? You know, that's getting rid of personal ambition, personal desire, self-will. This is not easy. This is hard. When, when it comes and it says, okay, I know who Jesus is, and he says, yes, and I want you, and if you're going to follow me, here's the deal. There's the deal. You go, yeah, I, I want forgiveness. I'm all about forgiveness. Thank you, God, because you don't want to die in my sin. Okay, but if you're going to follow me, here's the deal. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Lose your life. In 24, he says, if any man should save his life, he'd lose it for my sake, for the gospel. That sounds fun. That's, that's attractive, right? Does that sound a lot like the way we share the gospel, hey, you should meet my Savior because he wants you to lose your life. That's not the call that we put out there, is it? But it's the truth. And Jesus says, if you would follow me, abandon yourself. You serve God in self-denying obedience. Even if it costs me my life, that's how precious salvation is to me. Wow. Now, in not every case would he ask that because obviously we're all here this morning, right? So he, he doesn't necessarily say, give me your life, but is your heart's cry, your heart's desire that God, if you ask for everything, you have it. You have it all. 
You have my kids, you have my wife, you can have my job, you can have my house, you can have everything I have. I deny myself. Sounds joyful, doesn't it? Do I want what he has? You can say, I want what you have, God. I want hope for eternal life. I want forgiveness. I value forgiveness. I value physical knowledge of you. I want to know you, God, and I desire it more than physical life. I want you, God, and only you. Not only does he ask us to deny ourselves, he asks us to give up everything else in our world. In 957, there's a guy who comes along and says, yeah, I'll do that, God. I'll follow you. I'll deny myself. I'll bear my cross. And Jesus looks at him and he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, I guarantee you no creature comforts. Okay, you can deny yourself. Good. There's nothing I guarantee you on this side of heaven that will be great. You know, in John 6, 66, it said, many stopped following him. The call is hard. Do you understand who Jesus is? They got it, and they said, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Okay, you got it. That's who he is. You want to follow him or not? Are you just good with head knowledge? I know who he is. I read the Bible once. Then there's the next guy who comes along, and he says, hey, I want to follow you, but let me go home and bury my dad. You need to understand his dad wasn't dead. He wanted to go home and finish out everything to get his inheritance. He wanted to secure things up. He realized this is going to be a tough road. I'm going to need a little money. I ought to go take care of myself, right? How many of you think about your life and you go, you know, as soon as I retire and I've got that put away, I'll really focus on serving God, but I've got to take care of myself. He wanted to go back home and secure up the things that he thought he understood that he needed. And another one came along and said, I'll follow you, God, but let me go home first, and I need to say goodbye to people. I need to go home and fix all my relationships, and I need to go back and maybe ask some people to give me a little funding. You know, I need to get my relationships at home all good so I can follow you, God, so that I've got people I can rely on later because I don't know. It's important, I think, to understand that he says, forget the family, forget the money, forget the comforts. Get on about the business of the kingdom. Now, what does that look like? This is the story of the pearl of great price. When a man found it, he went and sold everything just to have that one thing. Is that how you feel about your relationship with Jesus? Have you found the pearl of great price or did you just run into some good people and they hang out on Sundays together and it feels good to show up there? You wouldn't be the only one. It happens every Sunday in every church. We're good people. This is a great place to hang out. I feel better when I leave here. That doesn't mean that I'm following Christ. It is important that we think about 
the call to discipleship. It is self-denial, sacrifice, and death. It's obedience without regard for comfort, money, or family. It is. That's just scripture. We just read it. And many can't follow. But there are some, and we read in 17, right? There are some. And they said yes. And then it gets, it gets even a little tougher maybe, right? It's, it's hard to come to a place where you want to be a disciple because it's submission, ultimate submission and denial of self, and it's not normal. But then you become a disciple, and then Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Okay, because he knows what he created us for. We have a purpose. We don't know that. Can I say yes to Jesus? Because he asked us to do hard things. The 70 that he sent out, he told them, don't take shoes or a purse no luggage, go and let me supply all that needs supplied. Wow. Can we, can we step out in life like that? It's the call. What is he telling you he's created you for? And did you say yes? And did you say yes and say, okay, let's go. I'm ready to go. You know, it says that... <clears throat> The one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom, right? And, you know, if you ever farm, I grew up farming, right? And I was never allowed to list, if you know what that means, make the rows and the beds you're going to plant in. My dad wouldn't let me. I was pretty distracted as a young man. <laughs> Wasn't meant to be a farmer. But I invariably, I kept doing this to check behind me. You can't do that when you list. You pick a point in front. And you go to the point, and when you get there, the rows are straight. My brother was an ace at it. I was not. My, my listing looked like I was looking somewhere else. And, uh, and Jesus says, when you find me and I call you, I'm the point. Go to me. And it's true. Can you do that? Are we those people? Um. He told them, when you go, he sent them out in twos. He sent them in pairs. I think that's significant. He doesn't leave us all alone. We have the body of Christ, but he sends us, and he sent them out, and he said, there's some stuff you're going to do, and you're going to go in to a town, and you're not going to make relationships on the way. He says, don't greet people. That means don't get your mind off the mission and start trying to make relationships and figuring out a whole other group of people to get secured with. Love people. But go and tell them the Messiah is here. Tell them they are sinners. Tell them that they need a Messiah, and if they do not accept you, dust the sand off your feet and tell them it will be better for Tyre and Sidon in that day than for those who have heard the gospel and denied it. He says, if you deny me, I will deny you before my Father. Yeah. So they had a hard mission. They weren't going to be popular. They were going to give up being liked. Wow, that sounds like a blast. You're good. But is that the point, right? Is that why am I here? To make a whole lot of friends and be a popular dude and die and have a lot of people come to my funeral? I don't know. I mean, we see a lot of people who think that's the point of life. Is that I just got to do good stuff. You can do good things. You can do physically good things for people. 
financially good things for people. You can speak up in society and do something really good in society, and none of that matters. None of it. It burns in the end. And I think that's the significant part is, you know, and, and as I've walked in, in my life and figured, okay, God, what do you want to do with me? Because, you know, and I've told my testimony several times, but, you know, when I got to that point where I said, wow, God is all that matters, and i got to figure this out because my life's miserable, and I need to say yes and see what that means. And wow, and it was great when I realized that I wasn't meant to just be a coach for football. I loved it, and I was good at it, and I could get kids to play really hard, and we could beat up other teams and win, and it was meaningless because I wasn't investing in the lives for what mattered in eternity. And when I figured that out and I came back to coaching, and my point was I love these kids. We're going to play some football because it's fun, but I love these boys, and I'll invest, and they can have my cell number, and they can call me anytime. And when they get older and they're having troubles, and they can call me. And that's the deal. We invest in love and take the gospel, right? And it changed my purpose. It caused me to see my purpose, that it's not about a job. You know, we were talking the other day, and somebody said, you know, and, and this is not a judgment statement. I, I grew up in Texas on a farm and ranch. I shot a lot of guns. I did a lot of hunting. But I never really was a hunter. And that may not make sense to you if you're not a hunter. But I'm not a hunter. Like, take it or leave it. It doesn't really thrill me. There are guys who love to hunt. I got a son-in-law, loves to hunt. And we were talking the other day, and somebody said, well, what, are, what is it about going hunting? Because they, they they're not hunters. And I said, I don't know. I think, you know, it's something you can do with somebody else. It just is not a job. Like, I'm not on a job right now. I'm enjoying myself, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging that. But the way we live our life as a Christian should bring great enjoyment. It should. He didn't call them to frown. He didn't say, don't smile at anybody all day long. He didn't say, you go and you look mean as you can look and you tell everybody they're going to hell. He didn't say that. He sent them out to take the message of Christ, the Messiah. And when you're serving God and you are surrendered to God and you're denying self, you will smile. There's a reason. We'll see it in a minute. But you're going to understand that it makes you a person that brings life where you go, not death. And enjoyment in life shouldn't be sporadic to only a moment when I can work it in. It ought to be because I wake up every day understanding whose I am and who is in charge, and that's good. And so he's working them down here, and it's pretty daunting at this point to be a disciple, right? It's, it's like, okay, wow, I, I do love Jesus, and I am going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to deny myself, and that is me being way down here in the view of everything else. I don't know if you've read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship. It's a very, very good book. You can carry, if you like to read books, you should read it. But he makes a statement there, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. That's the truth. Come and die. And he says, later in the book, he says, no man is truly has the, the right to say he's justified by grace alone, except the man who's left all for Christ. And he didn't just understand that experientially. He understood it biblically, and then he lived it experientially because he was a Nazi uh, protester. He was against Hitler. He was arrested, imprisoned, and then hanged as a criminal for his faith. I, I don't know anybody in my life that's been hanged for their faith. But I think he understood Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul summed that up, didn't he? 
Paul summed that up for us in Philippians when he said, everything, I count everything as loss except for to gain Christ. That's it, everything. Wow. I, <laughs> years ago, worked with some kids from Indonesia, Malaysia, and this guy, we were talking, he was a Christian, college student, and he said, man, it's hard to be a Christian in America. I said, what? Somebody's persecuted here. He said, no, it's hard to be a Christian in America because everybody says they're a Christian. That hit me hard. Wow. Because there's no difference. I'm a nice guy. I smile. I'll talk to you. I go to church fairly often. And where they came from, you said I'm a Christian. You don't get to go places. You lose family. It was hard to be a Christian here because they didn't see where, where are we? Where are the Christians? Disciples of Christ is what is a Christian. And it's noticeable when you're following Christ. You know, the 70, 72, the 70's round number, there's 70, 72 of them. They didn't die on the first time out. They all came back. 17 says they returned filled with joy. So they didn't die the first time they went out. We don't know what happened to them later. We know that most of the apostles died. John was exiled, but martyrs were common. Martyrs still happen today. But the first time out, they didn't all die. They came back filled with joy. Joy. It is unnatural and unconventional to be a disciple of Christ. Unnatural and unconventional. Now, I'm not telling you that, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you that when you follow the Christ, you'll have nothing. I don't believe that's true. God does what he wants to do with the people he chooses to do it with. I know a, a man in my life who couldn't give enough money away, and he would give to anybody and everybody, and God just kept filling his bank account back up. And every time he turned around, God blessed him, and then he would just give more stuff to more people. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. And he didn't live in destitution, and he didn't live without a car. And he did it. He had a, he had a decent American life, but his heart was that none of it was his. And, and how cool is that? Uh, but it's not that he requires you to be destitute and homeless and without. But if he did, are you okay with that? And are you willing to serve a God who would say, that's my purpose for you. The 70 returned with joy. Joy, the operative word here. So they gave up their comfort, their money, their popularity, and what they get in return? Joy. Is that a good swap? Joy. What is joy? You know, there's a definition of joy that it is the fulfillment of it's not elation, but you might refer to the word elation of your identity being purposed. Joy. I know why I'm here. I know why I exist, and what just happened proves it in my life. That's, that, that should be a daily experience for a disciple of Christ, that there is joy. Joy, why? The, for, there's three reasons why they were filled with joy, and we're going to cover them. Number one. Because they had divine power 
over Satan's kingdom. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Divine power over the kingdom of Satan. Now, demons, and we all know, if you've studied the Bible at all, you know God, he created all the angels. They were gathered around the throne. Lucifer was created. Powerful, beautiful, probably the worship leader of the angelic host. Pride filled him. He didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be God. He was cast out. One-third of the angels fell with him. They're irredeemable. They became the demons. Satan is an entity. The demons are their persons. They exist right in the angelic hosts, and they operate on earth, and they their goal, in John it says that the whole world sits in the lap of Satan as if he's nurturing this world close to himself with deceit. He pulls them in, right? And the world sits in Satan's lap. And the demons work to deceive. They're as old as creation itself, just about. So they're old, they're tricky, they're filled with Lack of God. So they're filled with hate. And we, as disciples, are called to go in and invade that kingdom. Demons invariably would want to act against us. So evangelism is the cool thing when we get to rescue souls from the grip of Satan. Now this, when I go and I share the gospel of Christ The power of the gospel causes the demons to flee. Not me. I'm nobody. Remember in Acts 19, I think it was, where they said, we know Paul, we know Jesus, but we don't know you, right? It's not in my name. It's in Jesus' name as I present the gospel that the forces of evil are broken and people's eyes are opened, right? Paul, when he shared about his Damascus Road experience, and Jesus said, I'm calling you out, and I will protect you, and you're going to go open the eyes of the blind, right? That they can receive forgiveness and move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's the whole point of my daily existence is to profess the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean I'm a preacher, and you need to make sure you understand this. Being called to this is being called to be a Christian, not a preacher, There are people who are called to teach and to preach and do those things, but I'm called to be a disciple of Christ. That means not me, Christ alone. Deny myself. What's God told me to do? He's put me in a job, and it doesn't mean you work in a church, probably rarely, because he wants us invading the kingdom of darkness with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's how my life looks. And when I understand that God has given that power to me through the gospel, I don't fear how I live my life every day. I don't fear I'm going to lose my job. I remember when I came back to coaching after God had worked on me and went back to a little town and I was coaching girls. And so God was still punishing me a little bit. No, I'm joking. But uh, no, no, but I was. And I had changed who I was. And I was more concerned with the kid, not the sport. And we weren't winning enough. And guy wanted to fire me. And he Put the petition around town, you know, small town Texas. Uh, if you don't win enough, they just fire you. So uh, he was going to get me fired. 
And, you know, we were at the point, I said, well, just pray. God's done with us here. He's done with us here. Dude couldn't get me fired because God wanted me there. It doesn't matter. If you're presenting the purpose of your life, and that is to share the gospel, you don't worry about your job. You don't worry about where you live, what you drive, what you wear, what you eat. He told him, don't take anything. Don't take anything and let me supply everything that needs supplied. Can we live in that uncontrolled moment? That I struggled. I'm a controlled freak. I just want to have a little hand on it. You know, it's okay, God, I trust you, but here, let me help. He says, no, you take nothing. I'm God. Let me supply. It is so cool. I'm sure testimonies in this room where God has supplied when you just said, okay, God, we just trust you. And there it is. And you never went without. Matter of fact, probably had more than you needed most of the time. It is, God is so very awesome and complete. But he says, if you're going to follow me, this is not a game. It's not a club. It's not something that gets me a better job in town. It's not something that puts me in a place where I can put on my resume that I teach Sunday school and that just makes me look a little better for the job I want. It's not about, it's, it is a losing of your life because salvation matters that much to you. The Jesus is the only thing that matters to you. The rest is on this side of heaven and it's good. And these 70 got it and they said yes. And they were filled with joy. Joy that they had power over the kingdom of Satan. That, that they were put in a place to rescue people from the evil one. Now you know, <clears throat> the Jews knew that the Messiah would have to have power over Satan. They understood who Satan was. And so when Jesus, when he showed up, that's why he did that what he, what he that's why he did what he did. When he cast out the demons, he had power over all that dominion. And he showed it, even to those that didn't profess him, he still cast demons out of them because that's his power. It's always there. He is over all of it. It says in uh, Ephesians, when, so he, he died, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of God where he was given power and dominion over all domains, right? So he was over all things. And then it says he became the head of the body, which is us, and gave that power to us. We, we sit on the receiving end of a power that Satan cannot handle. Now, you know, I don't pay much attention to him. Um, there was a time in my life I thought I had to, like I had to acknowledge, you know, Satan's probably doing that, the devil's probably involved over here. You know what? It, it matters not. Because when the gospel is proclaimed, he has to flee. He has no power. No power. He is subject to Jesus Christ. And he's been defeated. In his name, we have power. In the name of Jesus. And nothing matters as much as freeing souls from the domain of Satan. You know, I think that's one of the things that if you've had the opportunity to share your personal faith with someone and you've had them spend time with you to ask you questions, 
and you've been allowed to be along the journey when it finally hits them, where the Holy Spirit finally opens their eyes and begins to move them from the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, and you see the hope in their eyes when they finally say, he loves me. You understand there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. I couldn't sell enough houses or cars or, or you know, win enough ball games. or not. There's no feeling like understanding the purpose is just this, the gospel. In my life, going to a lost world. That's it. There's nothing else that matters. God has given us full lives. He's allowed us to live in America. What a blessing. But are we just one of a whole bunch of nominal Christians? who we just tagged ourselves up with the well. Every now and again, we do something cool. We pack a backpack or we fill a shoebox. Or is our life surrendered to Christ? Do we deny self? Are we paying attention to what God's telling us he wants us to do and saying yes to it and not worrying about money and family, comfort, is that my heart's cry? God, just you. Just you and whatever you want to do with me. That's all I care about. And if that means I live in Derby, Kansas, great. And if that means I live in Stratford, Texas, great. I'll never. <laughs> and don't ever say, oh, I'll never live there. We made that mistake a couple of times in our life. We were driving one time through Texas, and I'd been coaching for several years and always trying to move up the coaching ladder. And we drove through this little town called Sunray, Texas, and it's a spot in the road. And my wife says, oh, man, thank goodness. I don't ever want to live here. Two years later, we lived there. I was coaching there. So, uh, <laughs> but am I okay wherever I live? Wherever. What I live in. Am I okay with my neighbors, wherever God plants me to have that neighbor? Is it about me at all? He says it's not if you're going to be a disciple. I can call myself whatever I want to call myself. But whether or not I'm a disciple, it's evident by the way I live my life. The defining factor for me is, can I deny myself and die? Or do I need to make sure I'm getting enough life? Do I need to make sure I'm having enough fun? Am I getting enough enjoyment out of this deal? Are we taking enough vacations? Am I moving up in the company at a fast enough speed for myself to be happy about it? Or am I okay saying none of that matters? None of that matters. Is my life being poured out for the gospel? Are people finding hope because I share with them my hope? It's, uh, there was joy. Joy because they realized this life has a real purpose. The Messiah is the real deal. And people actually do find hope in the message of Jesus Christ. You know, in helping people, and we, we try to help people, you know, you can help. We're going to help a lady tomorrow. And, you know, um, you go over and you help somebody with something, and it, you're like, man, that's good because they smile about it, right? So, Thanks, I needed that. Cool. But that goes away like it's just a moment in time. That need was met, right? But that need's going to get used up. 
whatever it was eaten or lived on or slept on or burnt or whatever happens, it gets used up. This never goes away. When they find salvation through Jesus Christ and they realize life eternal is forever, it never goes away. You'll, re- you'll meet that individual again and again and again and they will be saved for eternity. How much better is that than giving somebody something or not that you shouldn't because you should meet needs, but that's not the point. And so we have to make sure that we are all about their eyes being opened, that they're turning from darkness to light. And that means I can't live in the gray. There's just truth. I have to state the truth. You're a sinner bound for hell without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross for you. He rose again and defeated death in the grave. And he has given us power to live this life really cool. And these 70 saw that. And they were filled with joy. The elation of their identity and purpose being fulfilled. Joy. I want joy. They also were filled with joy because they were not just power over the kingdom of Satan, but they were protected from the kingdom of Satan and from the evil one. He says, behold, I have given you the power to tread on the heads of serpents and scorpions. And that's metaphorical for the demon host and Satan himself, the enemy. And that that they cannot hurt you. No harm will come to you. No harm. Now, that's kind of nice, isn't it? And you say, well, hold on, because I know people in the Bible that got whipped up pretty good. But that was for their refinement, right? Job, Paul, Peter. That was because the enemy can only do what God allows him to do for our spiritual growth. And maybe our lack of surrender causes our journey to be a little harder. I don't know. I could testify to that for myself. Um, but the deal is, is that he can't harm us. Our purpose will be fulfilled. Now, are you okay with death? Because that doesn't mean that the devil got the upper hand. That means God required it for his kingdom, for his purpose. The devil didn't win when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged. God took the message of discipleship and lit a fire. He may require your life. He may require my life. That has nothing to do with the devil's power. And he can't harm us. We are protected. The 70 were protected. There was joy. Joy. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for the joy set before him. His purpose for coming was to defeat death in the grave and bring forgiveness of sins. And he went to the cross for joy. Do you enter your life every day for the joy of what it is God's called you for? Do you wake up with the joy? I mean, we're going to Monday tomorrow, right? We're going to get a Monday. You wake up in the Monday morning. Oh, man, I hope those people got better over Thanksgiving. <laughs> Do I wake up with the joy? Today, God, you got a purpose for me. Somebody needs me to smile at them. Somebody needs me to care a minute and listen. Somebody needs me to speak about why Thanksgiving was so awesome for me. Somebody needs me to say why I love my family the way I love my family. God, I have a purpose and I'm filled with joy. Is that the way I wake up on Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings? 
It can be when we deny ourselves, when we take up our cross and we follow him. Joy comes with that because we have power over Satan's kingdom, and we are protected from the enemy. Protected. You don't have to fear anything. The song we just sang, I'm not a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Do I live that way? And do I understand what it means to be a child of God? Sure, I'm excited about forgiveness because I need it so bad. But do I want and value salvation so much that nothing else matters to me? Nothing. You know, the demons know who we are. They do. They know, they know your name. They know, they know me. They know you. They know what you do. Uh, they don't like us, but they can't stop what we do in the name of Jesus Christ. They cannot. And, and you know, we're invading their kingdom. We're going in where their deal is, what they do and they get to do right now while God lets them. And we step in there with the gospel. And I love this part where he says, I watched, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, you know, there, there is, a, he was watching, obviously he was there when Satan was cast out. So you say, well, maybe that's what he was saying. You know, I watched Satan as he fell like lightning. And there, there are those that, was, you know, well, he, he <clears throat> understands what happened at the cross when Satan was defeated and didn't know he was going to be defeated until it was too late and it's all done. But it says, this is a, a progressive statement. He says, I was watching. Now, how cool is this image? I was watching while y'all were out there, sent y'all out. I was watching the cosmic view while Satan fell from heaven like lightning. Every time the gospel hit with reception, there was a cry out of hell of loss, and it was like lightning. And Satan lost again, and he lost again, and he lost again because the gospel overpowers his kingdom, and he can't stop it. Watched him fall from heaven like lightning. That's kind of a dramatic thing, but I think it's the truth. You see it in people when they come to knowledge of salvation, their life changes and Satan's grip is broken. It, it releases them. I mean, if you've ever been at the moment when somebody says, yes, I feel he loves me. I want Jesus. Satan's grip is popped loose. Their heart is freed. Their eyes truly are opened. It changes them forever. It should change us forever. We have literal authority and dominance over the kingdom of Satan. 2 Corinthians 2. Christ crushed the serpent's head. We always are caused to triumph in Christ. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 16, 20. I like this when we sing a song with the kids. Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent in all you do, right? And we'll crush Satan's head underneath our feet. It's true. We've been given that power. Do you, do you know you've been given that power? Does your, do you walk your life like you have that power? You're not subject to him. God will use testing to grow us spiritually. 
The third thing we have joy in, and I think this is, this is so cool. He ends and he says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in these things. So they just said, what we just, wow, we saw your power. God, it was so cool. Like you just, we just were able to do everything we needed to do. And Satan had nothing he could do against us. And it was great. And he says, and, and I rejoice with you. And I watched Satan fall. He said, but nevertheless, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in that your names are written in heaven. That your name, okay, so this is just going to happen. This other stuff's just going to happen right now. You just, right now you get to be a messenger for the gospel. That's on earth. These things, are, it's good and there's joy and purpose, but that's not what lasts. Your name is written in heaven. Now, how nice would that be? These 70 never questioned their salvation again, did they? Jesus looked at them and said, your names are written in heaven. How would you like for Jesus to walk up to you and say, Kevin, your name's in the book, baby. It'd feel good, wouldn't it? That's the joy that never goes away. That's the joy of life that knows I am secure for all eternity with my Savior. Rejoice in that. The joy that we have preservation in God's kingdom. This life is going to pass. It's terminal for all of us. The joy we have with us never leaves. We have continual joy. Our purpose is to be reunited with our creator forever and ever and ever. You know, they, they always wrote stuff in books back then. They had uh, books uh, in, in Exodus 32, 32 and Psalm 69, 28. In uh, Revelations, talks about the book of life. That's how they did it. They wrote names. And like if you were in a community and you were born, probably your name went in a book. You belonged there. Like you got your home. Our name is in the book of life. Our name is written in heaven. That's my home. We're just passing through right now, headed home. I love that song by Mercy Me, Almost Home. I really do enjoy that, if you know that song. Nothing Satan can do to overpower the gospel witness. We give in sovereign purpose in the will of God. Nothing, nothing Satan can do to overpower when we give a solemn gospel witness in God's will, in God's power, to proclaim who he is, all he can do is let go and flee. That sounds like victory, doesn't it? Don't you want to live in victory, victory of how I live my life every day, instead of bound up by worrying about stuff all the time, worried about what's going to happen, worried about who's going to do what or not do or Worried about what's going to happen in five years or worried about who's going to be elected or worried about who's not going to be elected. None of that matters. We live in America. We should live responsibly in America. But your life, my life, should be pointed at one point only. And that is Jesus Christ and his purpose for me. And that is to share my hope in him. Joy. Luke 2.10. Luke 2.10 and 11. Shepherd sitting out in the field. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The Savior is born to you today. 
Our joy has nothing to do with the physical world we live in. Joy is thousand times better than happiness. And we're coming on to Christmas season and we sing joy to the world. What is your joy? Where is your joy? Do you understand why you should have joy? Are you a follower of Christ? Or you just know who he is? He says, you're going to be my disciple. And that's a Christian. You understand that. Just knowing his name is not going to get it done. Follow Christ. And let me tell you the truth. Joy you don't understand. A life of purpose that fires you up like you've never been fired up. And don't worry about stuff. Don't worry about it. Let me supply. Live your life with purpose. Singular purpose. Share the world. Where the world is at the grip 